Chapter 13 The Companion of Success The end of the matter was that I continued to reside in the house of my parents in Ujjaini. As all the world knows, stranger, this, my native town, is famed throughout Jambudvipa as much for its revels and unstinted enjoyment of life as for its shining palaces and magnificent temples. Its broad streets resound by day with the neighing of horses and the trumpeting of elephants, and by night with the music of lovers' lutes and the songs of the carefree carousers. But of all the glories of Ujjaini, none enjoy a reputation so extraordinary as do its courtesans. From the great ladies who live in palaces, building temples to the gods, laying out public parks for the people, and in whose reception rooms one meets poets, artists and actors, distinguished strangers and occasionally even princes, down to the common wenches, all are beauties with softly swelling limbs and indescribable grace. At all the great festivals, in processions and exhibitions, they form the chief adornment of the beflagged and flower-strewn streets. In crimson saris and fragrant wreaths in their hands, the air about them heavy with delicious perfumes, their dresses sparkling with diamonds. Do you see them, brother, sitting on their magnificent grandstands, or moving along the streets with glances full of love, seductive gestures and playfully laughing words, everywhere fanning the heated senses of the pleasure-seekers to living flame? Honoured by the king, worshipped by the people, sung of by the poets, they are aptly named the many-coloured floral crown of the rock-enthroned Ujjaini and they draw down upon us the envy of the less favoured neighbouring towns. Not infrequently, the choicest of our beauties go to these places as guests, and now and again it happens that one or another of them has to be recalled by royal decree. Desiring to drown the grief that was eating away my life, the golden cup of pleasure, filled to the brim with its intoxicating leaf draughts of forgetfulness, was freely, nay, prodigally, raised to my lips by the fair hands of this joyous sisterhood. Owing to my many talents and wide knowledge of the fine arts, and not less of all social games, I became a favoured guest of the great courtesans. In fact, there was even one, whose favour could scarcely be measured by gold, who fell so passionately in love with me that she quarrelled with the prince on my account. On the other hand, owing to my complete mastery of the robber's dialect, I was soon on confidential terms with the girls of the low streets, whose company on the path of a coarser and more robust type of pleasure I by no means despised, and of whom several were heart and soul devoted to me. Thus madly did I dive down deep into the rushing whirl of the pleasures of my native city, and it became, O oh stranger, a proverbial saying in Ujjaini, as fast as young Carmenita. It was about this time that an event occurred which goes to show that evil habits, and sometimes even vice, may be the source of good fortune, to such an extent that the man of worldly mind cannot easily decide whether he mostly owes his prosperity to his good or to his bad qualities. I refer particularly to that familiarity with the women of the lower classes to which allusion has already been made, and which became of the greatest service to me. My father's house was broken into, and jewels, which had been for the most part entrusted to him for valuation, were stolen, and to an amount which it was practically impossible to make good. I was beside myself, for absolute ruin stared us in the face. In vain did I make use of all the knowledge I had gained in the forest. From the fashion in which the subterranean passage was constructed, I could easily tell to what class of thief the deed was to be ascribed. But even this most useful hint proved of no value to the police, 
who, in Eugenie to be sure, were not held in the same high regard as was the institution of the courtesans, even though there was a considerable evidence of some inner relationship between the two bodies. On one occasion, in a very learned lecture on the love affairs of the various classes, I heard with my own ears the following sentence. The gallantries of the police officer have to take place during his nightly round of inspection, and with the courtesans of the city, by order. Which, taken in connection with Vajashravas's remarks upon the service rendered by city courtesans in hoodwinking the police, gave me, in those days of anxious waiting, much food for thought. Now, however, in this strangest of all worlds of ours, things seem to be so arranged that the left hand must make good what the right hand has done amiss. And that is what happened here. For those flourishing blossoms from Eugenie's flower garden actually yielded to me the fruit which the thorny hedge of the police, perhaps stunted solely on account of that very same flourishing condition of the blossoms, had failed to ripen. These kind maidens, seeing me in despair because of the ruin threatening me and mine, discovered the culprits and forced them to hand over the plunder by threatening the complete withdrawal of their favours, so that we got off leniently with the loss of the little that had actually been spent, and with a fright which did not fail to have its effect upon me. It woke me up from the dissipated life in which I was uselessly squandering the best of my years and strength. For, quite apart from the waking up and the reasons for it, my folly had now reached a point where it was certain either to enslave and deprave me completely, in the garb of habit, or, on the contrary, to fill me with gradually increasing disgust. This latter result was now very much hastened by the experience I just had, and I had seen poverty staring me in the face, the poverty to which the life I had been leading would have handed me over defenceless after it had, with all its costly pleasures, treacherously left me in the lurch. At this juncture I thought of the words uttered by the merchant at the grave of Vajashravas. If I stood as high in Vajashravas's favour as you do, in a very few years I would be the richest man in Kosambi. And I resolved to become the richest man in Ujjaini, and to this end to devote myself with all my strength to the traffic of caravans of goods. I carried out my resolutions, and whether my friend and master Vajashravas, from his abode in the other world, did or did not stand by me in person and in all my undertakings, I cannot certainly say, although I have at times believed it. But this much is certain, that his words in their after-effects now did. For my having become familiar, through his teaching, with all the customs and usages of the various types of robbers, and my having even been initiated into the mysteries of their secret rules, now placed me in a position where I was able, without ridiculous foolhardiness, to carry to a successful conclusion enterprises which another would never have dared to venture upon. And so it was these that I now purposely selected, no longer condescending to the ordinary routes. As a result, when I conducted a large caravan to a town to which for months no other merchant had been able to proceed because powerful bands of robbers had cut off the district from all contact with the outer world, I found the inhabitants so desperately anxious to buy my wares that I was at times able to dispose of these at ten times the usual profit. But that was not all. For inestimable was the advantage I drew from my old friend's instruction with regard to the distinguishing marks of officials, both of higher and lower rank, who are open to bribery, with reliable notes to as to each man's price. And what I gained in the course of a few years by the skilful use of these hints alone represented a modest fortune. So, several years passed, during which the various delights of my pleasure-loving native city alternated healthily with the hardships of business journeys. Rich indeed in dangers, but nevertheless by no means barren of pleasure, in spite of all the perils. 
In strange cities I always resided with a courtesan to whom I was as a rule recommended by some mutual friend, some one of the fair ones of Ujjaini, and who not only played the part of hostess, but, as often happened, formed my business connections for me very shrewdly as well. Such was the tenor of my life when, one morning, my father came to my room. At that moment I was busy putting some lack on my lips, only pausing from time to time to shout directions to a servant who led my horse out into the courtyard in front of my window and was saddling him up. The special care required on the present occasion was due to a unique contrivance by which cushions were to be strapped on in front of the saddle for a gazelle-eyed beauty I was to hold there. An outing had been arranged for the afternoon to a public garden, and I was going both with women and men friends. I welcomed my father, and was about to call for refreshments, but he stopped me, and when I offered him some sweet-scented cashews from my golden box, he declined these also, only taking some beetle. I concluded at once from this, and not without misgiving, that my respected parent had something on his mind. "'I see that you are getting ready for a little excursion, son,' he said, after he'd taken a seat I offered him. "'And I cannot blame you, seeing that you have just returned from a fatiguing business journey. "'Where are you going today?' It's my intention, Father, to ride with some friends to the Garden of the Hundred Lotus Ponds, where we will amuse ourselves with various games. Excellent, most excellent, my son. Charming, delightful is an afternoon in the Garden of the Hundred Lotus Ponds. The deep shade of the trees and the cooling breath of the waters invite the visitor to linger there, and sophisticated and ingenious games are most praiseworthy, for they exercise the body and mind without straining them. I wonder whether the games are still in vogue that we used to play in my youth. What do you suppose Carmenita will be played there today? It depends, father, on whose proposal proves to be most acceptable. I know that Nimi wants to propose spraying with water. I, I don't know it, said my father. No, Nimi learned it in the south, where it's all the fashion. The players fill bamboo canes with water and spray one another, and whoever becomes the wettest has lost. It's very amusing. But Kolia thinks of suggesting Kadamba. My father shook his head. Hmm. I don't know that one either. Oh, that is much in favour at present. The players first divide into two parties. Then they attack one another, and the branches of the Kadamba shrub, with its great golden blossoms, serve as magnificent weapons. The wounds are recognisable from the dust of the blossoms, so that the umpires are able to decide without difficulty which party has won. The game is bracing, and has something dainty about it as well. I myself, however, intend to propose the wedding game. Well, that's a good old game, said my father with a decided smirk, and I am greatly delighted that you are minded to propose it, as it is evidence of your sentiments. From play to the real thing, he paused, the step is not an excessively long one. As he said this again, he smirked with such evident satisfaction that it made my very flesh creep. Yes, son, he went on, talking of that leads me straight to what brought me here to you today. You have, on your many business journeys, by your capacity and good fortune, multiplied our possessions many times over, so that the prosperity of our business has become proverbial in Ujjaini. On the other hand, you have, however, also quaffed the delights of youth's freedom in unstinted drafts. As a result of the former, you are well able to provide for a household of your own, and from the latter, it follows that it's also time for you to do so, and to think of spinning the thread of our race farther. In order to make things very easy for you, dear son, I have sought out a bride for you in advance. She is Sita, the eldest daughter of our neighbour Sanjaya, the great merchant, and has just recently reached marriageable age. As you can perceive, she comes from a family of like standing with our own, respected and very rich. 
and she has a large number of relatives, both on her father's and mother's side. Her body is faultless, her hair the blackness of the bee, her face like the moon in its beauty. Eyes like a young gazelle's, a nose like a blossom of the sesame, teeth like pearls and bimba lips, from which there comes the voice of the coquila, so rarely sweet is it. Her limbs delight the heart as does the stem of the young pisang, while her full hips lend to her carriage the easy majesty of the royal elephant. It is not possible, therefore, that you could have anything whatsoever to object to in her. I had indeed nothing to find fault with, save perhaps that her many and so poetically extolled charms left me utterly cold. And I admit that among the details of the wedding ceremony, in the prescribed three nights of renunciation, during which I had to eat no seasoned food, sleep on the floor, and keep the half-fire alight, preserving the strictest celibacy in the company of my young wife, was, amongst all the others, the least irksome to me. An unloved wife, brother, does not make one's home dear, nor its four walls attractive. So I took myself on journeys almost more willingly than before, and in the intervals concerned myself solely with business matters. And as I, to give the truth its due, did not deal too scrupulously in these, but without much hesitation took what was to my own advantage on every occasion, my riches increased to such an extent that, after a few years, I found myself near to the goal of my ambition and was one of the richest citizens of my native town. With that happy state of things, as master of a house and father of a family, Sita had in the meantime borne us two beautiful daughters, there came the desire to taste the sweets of my riches abundantly, and especially to make a display of them before my fellow citizens. To that end I purchased a large tract of land in the suburbs and laid out a magnificent pleasure garden, in the midst of which I built a spacious mansion, with halls whose ceilings were borne aloft on marble pillars. This property was reckoned among the marvels of Ujjaini, and even the king came to see it. Within these fair domains I now gave fabulous garden parties and the most luxurious of banquets, for I had now begun to devote myself more and more to the pleasures of the table. The most luscious morsels which were to be had for money were always served, even at ordinary meals. At that time I was not as you see me now, lean and weathered by lone wanderings, by life in the woods and ascetic practices, but I was of a full endowment of body, indeed even inclined to be somewhat portly. And it became, O stranger, a proverbial saying in Ujjaini, His table is like the merchant Carmenitas.'